thankful for you being with us and appreciate all that's already been done. And I do want to encourage you, as Brother Max has, to this, this week to send a card to Brother Nance and, and try to get that early. Maybe, maybe if uh, we could all as a family, individual family, send him a couple of cards. Uh, send him one this week and then one next week before he gets here. That would be, a, be an encouragement to him just to know that we're praying. Esther chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, now, I love this little parenthesis. Though it was turned to the contrary that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. You know, th- this isn't the point of the message, but we could just park it here for a minute. God just turns stuff around. Like, the enemy hopes to have things a certain way. I kind of think about the resurrection like that. Man, bad guys win. Oops, nope, they don't. Jesus wins again. It's good stuff. Verse 2, the Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus to lay hold on such as sought their hurt. And no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. And all the rulers of the provinces and the lieutenants and the deputies and officers of the king helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. Verse 4 talks about Mordecai. We'll deal with this when we get to chapter 10. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword and slaughter and destruction and did what they would unto those that hated them. They're not playing flag football here. And in Shushan the palace, the Jews slew and destroyed 500 men. And Parshendatha, and Dalphon, and Aspatha, and Paratha, and Adalia, and Eridatha, and Parmashta, and Erasai. And Eridai, and Vajazetha, and uh, I understand I mispronounced those names, probably didn't have the right emphasis in all the right places, but these are the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, slew they, but on the spoil laid they not their hand. On that day, the number of those that were slain in Shushan, the palace, was brought before the king. So... On the, on the 13th day of the month, they, they assemble to fight for themselves and they have this great slaughter. Notice what happens here in verse 12. And the king said unto Esther the queen, the Jews have slain and destroyed 500 men in Shushan the palace and the 10 sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee or what is thy request further? And it shall be done. Then said Esther, if it please the king, let it be granted to the king, excuse me, let it be granted to the Jews which are in Shushan to do tomorrow 
also according unto this day's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. They're already dead, but let them be put up as a physical demonstration of what happens to those who seek to do genocide. And the king commanded it so to be done, and the decree was given at Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. For the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the fourteenth day also, of the month of Dar, and slew 300 men at Shushan, but on the prey they laid not their hand. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest from their enemies, and slew of their foes 70 and 5,000, but they laid not their hands on the prey. On the 13th day of the month of Dar, and on the 14th day of the same rested day, and made it a day of feasting. And gladness, but the Jews that were at Shushan assembled together on the thirteenth day thereof, and on the fourteenth thereof, and on the fifteenth day of the same, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the fourteenth day of the month Adar a day of gladness and feasting and a good day and of sending portions one to another. We'll leave off our reading there. Here's the title: Enemies are bad could expound on it this way. People that make laws to exterminate you are bad. Say, man, that seemed kind of harsh what they did. You understand that they had to do it or it was going to be done to them? And there's a tendency in, there's a tendency in culture to try to treat enemies like they're not your enemies. And there's a tendency among Christians, not with people, but with certain attitudes, vices, and tendencies to treat things that will be to your destruction as though they aren't really your enemy. And it's not really that bad. And the end result can be very devastating when you don't recognize who your enemies are and treat them as such. Enemies are bad. Father, thank you for letting us be here tonight, for allowing us. And then, and then, Lord, thank you for people who desire to be a part through the live stream, through being in attendance here. So grateful that we get to be a part of your church and pray for your blessing on the service tonight, that this truth would be helpful. It would be clearly explained from the text, and it would be helpful in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm never going to be president, although I do think it would be cool, because if I ever did become president, it wouldn't be Air Force One, it would be Air Force John, a thin, yeah, I'm kidding about that, it, look, it'd be cool, I understand it would be stressful, but I got eight kids, I'm used to stress, <laughs> I'm not ever going to be a world leader I'm not ever going to be president over anything, but I do have some foreign policy opinions. I'm allowed to have opinions. And I think this one, while not extremely brilliant, makes a lot of practical sense. I'm going to give it to you since I can tell you're so curious by the looks on your faces. Here it is. Don't make peace with people who say they hate you and want to kill you. If I'm in charge 
or have some influence into the official national and foreign positions that our nation would take, I would say that's a pretty good place to start when it comes to foreign policy. Don't make, pe- don't make peace with people who say they hate you and want to kill you. One of the most insane, and there are many in our nation's history, I can tell y'all are just really eating this up right now. I had a lot of fun. Anyway, one of the most insane agreements that our nation has ever entered into was back in 2015, the Iran nuclear deal. The same, the same year, actually while those talks were going on, the leader of Iran said what is the statement, the slogan, that, that came into origin several decades ago I didn't write down all of the history of this, but it's what Iran specifically is known for saying. And in the negotiation talks, uh, the Iranian leader was asked about something about this, and his answer was this, of course, yes, death to America. Now, I've read after some people who say, well, they don't really mean, and they try to explain it away. I really don't care what all you try to convince me you mean or don't mean, When your official position and national statement that you chant and that you consistently say at protest is death to America, death to America, really don't want to sign any treaties with you. Say, well, come on, you really don't understand them. I understand what death to America means. (laughs) Are y'all uncomfortable with this? (laughs) The tendency, though, when it comes to government, the tendency of other nations is an unwillingness to recognize that there are actually people out there that want to hurt this nation. There are people, there are nations and there are movements, there are religious movements that want to bring death and destruction across the board. And there's this idea out there that, well, maybe we can find some common ground. You really can't find common ground with, with a movement or a nation whose purpose is to destroy you. There is no common ground. The only way that they are satisfied is if you do not exist. Okay, I'm, I'm about to get off of this, so just relax, move on. But the danger is, nationally, with any nation is that we treat those who want to destroy us as though we can somehow find common ground and have an alliance and that we can seek the good of others. When it came to Haman, when it came to the enemies of the Jews, their attitude was towards the Jewish people was much like Iran's is towards America and Israel. Death to. That's what Haman wanted. There's, a, there, there's, no, there's no interest in finding common ground. There's no interest in, in negotiating some kind of peace that will allow us to tolerate each other for a while. It was, it was a sanctioned, na- not just nationwide, a sanctioned kingdom-wide genocide of the Jewish people. 
Well, through the providence of God, the influence of Esther, the help of Mordecai, the, the law is turned around in that God used Esther to influence the king so that another law was written that, that un, in, in a sense, it undid the genocide and gave the Jews the opportunity, it, it gave them the royal authority to gather together and, and gave them permission and the ability to defend themselves. So in verse number nine, we see this beginning, or excuse me, chapter number nine, we see this beginning to unfold that on the, on the 12th day of the month and on the 13th day of the month, and it goes down through the 14th and the 15th, so all of these events culminate and the Jews begin to assemble and they go on the offense and they begin to destroy those who had assembled or who had aligned themselves with this purpose of exterminating them. They kill, as best I can tell from the text, close to 76,000 people across the kingdom who sought to do them harm. Well, the king asked in verse number 11 and 12, the king asked Esther for a report. How, how is all of this going and what is it that you require? What is your desire? And so Esther asks for the ten sons of Haman to be put out in a public display as a deterrent to those who would seek to destroy the Jews. And then she asked for more time to further carry out the, the Jews' um, act of defending themselves and removing the enemy. She wants complete annihilation of those who would seek to take their lives. Look, I understand this can sound unpleasant, and, and we shouldn't glory in this kind of thing. But you also under, ought to understand on, on a basic level, you can have, if, if you're going to take care of your family, you can have zero tolerance for people that want to break into your house and do your family harm. Say, well, that doesn't really happen. Oh, that happens all over the place hand-tie police officers to the point that they can't ever defend a home or hand-tie a citizen to the point that they can't ever defend their own home. I'm telling you, they're bad people. They don't want to come in and have some kind of treaty. They want to do you harm. And from a physical standpoint, there, can be zero, there needs to be zero tolerance for that kind of behavior on a national level. I, I'm, not, I'm not glorifying this, but I'm trying to help us understand Esther was not wrong in her request to the king. No, she understands there are people that for months have plotted to wipe us out. And we cannot tolerate that. And so they, they are as thorough as they can in removing the threat. Completely annihilating the threat. Destroy your enemies. Leave no quarter no tolerance for something that can harm you. It was a thorough elimination of any, anyone that was dangerous. Completely wiped these people out who obviously, we're not just talking about some kind of unverified witch hunt. We're talking about people who had intentionally aligned themselves with Haman for the purpose of exterminating the Jews. And so what's the point? There are people in the text there are people that want to wipe you out, and you can't make peace with them. Okay, so what does that have to do with us? 
Well, there are enemies that want to destroy your faith, that are a threat to your faith. There are enemies that will attack your belief in God. I know you're aware of this, but we need to be on guard. There is a constant battle within society, not to simply argue other possibilities or ideas, but to intentionally, on purpose, target the idea that God exists, that he gave life, that he has anything to say about life. There is an intentional effort to attack the idea on a societal level that God is. There's an attack on the way you raise your children. Whether specifically stated or simply implied, there are all sorts of innuendos and challenges and indirect or very direct threats about the way you raise your children. And it's gotten so ridiculous now that in places like Canada, and I I haven't done any research in the last couple of months, and and it may have happened here, but I read one story in Canada where a young lady Uh, around 12, 13, something like that, was allowed to go through a biological change even though her father opposed it and the judge basically had him arrested and said, you don't get to have any say in how your daughter wants to identify herself. You know what that's an attack on? The home, the way you raise your children. So what the government wants to tell me now that I'm not allowed to tell my biological girl that God made her a girl on purpose, that I'm not allowed to tell my son that God made him a boy on purpose and he has a reason for that and he doesn't make any mistakes, I'm not allowed to tell them that anymore. No, we're we're not talking about just interfering with the way you discipline and train and the way you teach. We're talking about you can't have any say whatsoever in their life. What's going on? Attack a biblical view or a biblical position on marriage. God created, God created sexual fulfillment. Thank you, Brother Cook. I'm not, no, this isn't something weird, and we don't need to be afraid of this. He created all of that, but he also created the parameters in which that's supposed to take place. And there's only one place, biblically, husband-wife. That's, that's where it takes place according to the word of God. And yet that is under attack. Your children's commitment to purity is under constant assault. I'll deal with ways that it is. But, but young ladies and young men, if, if you strive to any degree to remain pure and to honor the Lord with your attitude and your thoughts and your body, it will not be without very direct and intentional challenges from a culture that wants you to participate in the same rot that they are promoting and living in on a daily basis. There are attacks on our confidence in the word of God. Just, this is just something from somewhere else and there's all kinds of religious books and everybody's got their opinion and on and on they go. There's an attack on your commitment to love people. Listen, this, this is an ongoing effort in our nation, I believe globally as well, but there is an effort to divide people into different categories for the purpose of making them angry at one another. Now that's ongoing. 
You say, I don't really see it. I'm, I, we can talk about it later, but there's an intentional effort to divide people up into groups, to classes, to races, and emphasize everything that makes us different instead of emphasizing what makes us the same. Instead of telling us why we should love each other, telling us why we should hate each other, there's an attack going on. These enemies cannot be treated like friends. Enemies... As unpleasant as this sounds, and don't get nervous, I'm not going somewhere weird, just stay with me, enemies have to be dealt with as enemies. Let me give you a, a lighthearted illustration. When I played basketball, um, in an athletic sense, I viewed the other team as my enemy. Okay, just relax. I didn't want to make peace with them. So my, my wife has this great p capacity to feel sorry for the team that she beat. <laughs> and uh, I thank God that I'm insulated from such tendencies. Because <laughs> I don't ever feel bad for somebody when I beat them. <laughs> I want to win <laughs> everything all the time. And you can ask my wife. It drives me crazy when I lose to my kids. I thought I'd do a puzzle race with Jaron when he was three. Dude smoked me. I'm like, no, we're doing this again. And then he beat me again. And I've got serious issues going on still about that. I didn't, I didn't look across, I didn't look across the, the court, the other bench. I'm not talking about de being disrespectful or being nasty, although sometimes in my smack talk I was disrespectful. I didn't, I didn't go to those games like, let's all just get along and enjoy playing. No, I'm going to enjoy playing when I'm smoking you. Yeah, I like that. Coach Little League Baseball. I don't coach Little League Baseball for participation trophies. This is America for crying out loud. We want the gold all the time. I'm not coaching these boys. Just so let's just enjoy ourselves and we'll all be happy. And as long as everybody gets to bat and has a good time, it's okay. Now, I had a meeting with the parents. If I ever coach again, I'll have the same meeting with the parents. And I told the parents, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to do my best to help your, your boys develop. And I'm going to do my best to help this team win. And in order for this team to win, your boys won't always get to play where they want to play. Deal with it because we're trying to win. Hallelujah. I tell them, I tell the boys, look at that dugout. They want what's yours. <laughs> you want a victory? Okay, I got to move on here. <laughs> yeah. we, we enjoy that in sports. We laugh about it, whatever. There's a tendency as Christians that we treat enemies as though we can make peace with them. Let me explain who the two enemies I'm talking about are. And remember what Scripture says. I didn't look up the reference, forgive me. But the Bible makes this clear. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The enemies we're talking about here are not, they manifest themselves in people, but we're not primarily talking about people here. Two things. Number one, we're talking about influence around us. And we're talking about tendencies within us. You see, there are influences around us that are attacking your faith. There are influences around us that are attacking your purity. 
There are influences around us that are attacking your attitude towards authority. There are influences around us that are attacking your position on marriage and your position on children and your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for this community and, this, and your love for this church. There are influences that are attacking. They manifest themselves in a lot of different ways. But then there are tendencies within us. We have bents. We have a sin nature. We have habits. We, we have these certain parts of us that threaten to lead us astray and can lead us down paths of great destruction. There are influences that are enemies. There are opinions that people have that they are, they are militantly opposed to you. An athlete that I, that I long admired, and then I decided to do some research on him, and I won't, I won't tell you who it is, but he's described this way as militant atheist. We're not talking about people who want to have a discussion, and this is where I stand, and this is where you stand, and we can both, we can just respect that each other has their opinion, and we can move on. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people that want, by, by their influence, they want to persuade and assault those who disagree with them. And, and by the way, let me, let me deal with Christianity for a minute. God never intended for Christianity to be, to be promoted by force. And people who want to bring up the Crusades, this is my response to that. That was not Christian or biblical. That was Catholic, and there is a difference. I'm not trying to start a fight with anybody historically. New Testament Christianity, Jesus Christ, never, never was a proponent of spreading the gospel by force. One day he's going to do that, but he's going to do that. Yeah. No, the gospel is to be spread by love. But there are influences that will attack, assault, make fun of you, harass you. Let me say, think about this. Hollywood really isn't your friend. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not telling you where you need to draw lines, but you better have some lines about what entertainment you're going to consume. All right. It's necessary to have some lines about what you'll consume and what you won't. This is what I'm just, in thinking about it in my own life with my wife and my children as Andrew and I talk about it, in, in just observing trends, this is, what, this is what you notice, that there's a constant effort to normalize godless behavior and they're constantly pushing the envelope. And, and what they tried to normalize in the 90s isn't nearly as extreme as what they're trying to normalize today. But if you follow those trends, there's just a consistent effort to keep shifting our view and our perception about, oh, well, this is just normal. And this is what happens. We get used to godlessness, and then we become susceptible to those same attitudes. You say, my children. My children would never, would never be led astray by that. If they constantly take that stuff in and there's never any kind of filter and there's never any kind of challenge to how they're thinking, it can affect the way that they're thinking. Absolutely. The world's music is not designed to help your faith. Look, I'm not, listen, listen, I, I don't want this to get weird. Andrea and I enjoy a good romantic song. Singing in the rain. <laughs> Y'all should listen to it. It's good stuff. I'm not saying if it's not in the hymn book, it's wrong. That's not what I said. 
I am saying that there is music and there are lyrics that are, that are detrimental to your faith. I don't encourage you to go look this stuff up, but you do any research and there is an intentional effort to over-sexualize and to emphasize violence and rebellion in just about every popular form of music. It is a major selling point. False doctrine and preaching are dangerous influences. Isn't, if you have a church where the Bible's being preached, it's probably good to grow in that church. Be careful that you don't become susceptible because you are enamored by something or you agree with someone on just one issue, but they can have a negative effect upon your attitude and upon your spirit. Be careful that you don't, that you don't develop this need. Well, I understand I have a church, but they, they just do it really well. I, don't, I do not mean this in any mean way, but God gives people local churches on purpose. No, he does. And if, listen, if you can't grow where you're at, then that is obviously a problem. Somebody say amen to that. And so there needs to be an adjustment on this side of it, or there needs to be an adjustment on that side of it. But if, if you have a place, then be at that place. And if you need to be at another place, then you need to deal with that. Be careful, though, that you don't become susceptible to things false teaching, preaching, or the wrong may, people preaching maybe some things that are right, but doing it with the wrong spirit. There are influences that are dangerous. You say, does that really happen? I, look, in the New Testament, the Bible talks about how in the last days, people will have itching, heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. There's going to, people just going all over the place, all kinds of different ideas, and we can be susceptible to that. Number two, not only are there influences around us, but there are tendencies within us. There's a spirit that doesn't want to obey. <laughs> How many of you hate it when someone tells you to do something? Can I get, thank you. One brother raised his hand. I'll raise, I got a couple people. Okay. I think Jackson is raising his hand. Hallelujah. Yep, there Jackson is. Thank you for your honesty, bro. You and, no. Who is that? No, it's Eli. Never mind. <laughs> I couldn't see behind his gear. Yeah, well, y'all can come pray together. <laughs> I'll meet you at the altar together. Jackson probably needs to be down here too, but I don't know, know that he was paying attention. <laughs> we have other kids raising their hand while like, oh no, what am I? <laughs> it's not, it, we have it in us that we want to do what we want to do. As you understand, in the word of God, we never outgrow submission. Oh, there's a need to submit to authority. Young people, your parents aren't perfect, but they don't have to be perfect for God to expect you to obey them. Hey, moms and dads, you need to have the same expectation of your children that God has of your children. You are not doing them any favors to enable or tolerate disobedience that God says is, is detrimental to them and an offense to him. And there, there are some parents who have this idea like, I just, man, I just, I just, I want my children to like me. You really, what you really, really want, if you're honest about it, you want your children to be your friend down the road. Right now, they need you to be their dad and mom. Um, argumentative, always having something to say, always having to have the last word. 
have this tendency, and it can manifest itself in a marriage. A husband, instead of seeking reconciliation, he's just going to keep trying to make a point and also be true in a wife's heart. Just always having to critique or always having to point out the thing that she doesn't like. Excuse making, nothing is ever my fault and I'm never guilty and it's always what someone else has done. Now, Parents, I really, in, on purpose, want to major on this, that God gave your children to you and under your authority for a certain time so you could identify those tendencies and deal with them. And one of the mistakes that parents make is that they, they have, a, they have a, an increased tolerance for tendencies that God says is dangerous. God says are dangerous, excuse me. And it's your job as a mom and dad to recognize and to see when this child has this tendency or this child has this tendency, they have this problem with their attitude or they have this problem with their response when I give them this command or tell them no on something. God gave them to you so that you could help them overcome those tendencies. And you've got to be careful that in your, in your interaction with them, you're not enabling and encouraging those tendencies, but you're confronting them. Because what you don't deal with when they're little, they, they will become very, very prone to that when they're older. And so many times there, there are young people who have tendencies that should have been dealt with as little children, but because parents didn't, they're having to fight a battle now. Instead of being like Esther in, in, a, in, in a figurative sense and saying, no, that, that attitude can't have any place in your heart right now. Not wanting accountability, accountability, not wanting to be transparent. As, especially as men, we have to recognize that we need to be honest with each other. We like this as dudes. I got it. I'm good. I'm not, I'm not talking to everybody right now. I'm talking to the grown dudes no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm all right. And the truth is we're not always all right, and we don't always got it, and we do need to be encouraged, and we do need to be helped, and we do need other men to come along and have fellowship with us, and we do need relationships, and we do need preaching, and we do need to come down to this altar sometimes. And yet we just... We don't want the accountability. We don't, we don't want the transparency that comes from having an honest conversation. I don't, I don't know what they're going to think about me. Here, I can tell you what I'm going to think about you, that you're a dude just like me and we both have a propensity to sin. And let's see if we can encourage each other and keep following Jesus together. And I believe that there's a whole lot of other men like that in this church as well. Here's the statement. There must be zero tolerance for influences and tendencies that are destructive. Let me give you two dangers. There must be zero tolerance for influences and tendencies that are destructive. Number one is this. We think we aren't susceptible. can do this as parents. My daughter would never go down that road. Ashlyn, come up here. Run, please. Thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> Great joy in my life. 
great joy. She's a sweet kid. She's also pretty, which gets on my nerves <laughs> for other reasons, but that's not why I have her up here. Sweet kid. She works hard. She, she, try, she, she consistently works at reading her Bible. I love watching my kids try to have a walk with God. It's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Just thank God for it. She loves people, all of that. You know what's really easy to do? Look at, look at my daughter or look at some of your daughters or some of your sons. Say, man, look, look how great they're doing. They'll never. And the minute, and mom and dad, you need to get this. The minute that I say that about her, I don't just put a target on myself. I put a target on her. And I make her susceptible. There's never a moment in her life when she is no longer capable of straying from the Lord. And I, don't, I don't care how, how proven your young men are. I don't care how proven your young ladies are. You must guard in your own heart. You must guard against this idea that, well, my children really aren't susceptible. There's a whole lot of people that thought they weren't susceptible. And I think one of the best examples would, that we're so familiar with would be David, a man after God's own heart, a man who worshiped God and walked with God in a way very few people have experienced, perhaps. Or, and, and he just, he, God worked in him and through him in some very unique ways. And I, I just understand that he went from some of the most wonderful and intimate moments with God to then completely betraying God through lust and murder. I should never say, my kids aren't susceptible. So if I think that they're susceptible, this is what I'm, this is what I'm prone to do. Be on guard. I need to watch that attitude. Not because that attitude is a direct, is a direct step into something terrible, but one attitude leads to another attitude. One misstep leads to another misstep, and eventually that starts you down a road. Don't think your children aren't susceptible. I'm not saying treat the, the small steps or the small attitudes as though they are those. Just understand that when things aren't dealt with, it can take you to very dangerous places over time. Does that make sense? I think, sweetie, you can sit down. But she's not just susceptible, I'm susceptible. Man, I, gotta, I get to be a part of a church that loves me. Seems like the Lord is blessing, have people come. It's great, man, praise the Lord. It's just wonderful to get to be a part of all of this, and I'm so thankful for it, and believe the best days can still be ahead of us. Hallelujah. Man, I'm golden. I have a Bible, I've told you this before, I have a Bible signed by one of my mentors who completely went off the deep end. He gave it to me when I graduated, and I keep it because I care about him, but I also keep it as a reminder of what I am capable of, and that there is no position and there is no church that insulates you from being a sinner. And there, there are pastors playing with fire. But it's not just pastors, Christians, all of us can play with fire at times. We think we aren't susceptible. Number two, we think we can influence by compromising. I love this about, I, I love many, obviously all of him, but one of my favorite things about Jesus specifically as he ministered to people, he did not compromise to reach anybody. 
if it was right, Jesus didn't move the goalpost. If it was wrong, Jesus didn't move the goalpost. Here's what was amazing about Jesus is he knew how to love sinners without endorsing their sinfulness. Brothers and sisters, you don't help anybody by endorsing sinful behavior. You help people by being respectful and loving them and not dealing with the, not dealing with the, the symptom, but dealing with the root. And you know what the root is? They need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, and listen, there are people that, there are Christians that think, man, we've got we've to deal with all of these sins. And the Bible has something to say about a whole lot of sins. But people's greatest need is to know Jesus Christ. And in as much as it is necessary for them to come to Christ, they need to understand their sinfulness, then yes, we deal with it. Just like Jesus did with the woman at the well. But he didn't run to her and just immediately start smoking her about her lifestyle. He brought it up when it was necessary to understand, listen, you have to deal with the sin that is separating you from me. But he didn't make the interaction all about that. He made it about knowing him. And we've got to understand, we don't, we don't reach anyone by compromising. Yeah, listen, I, I, I will hang out. I will eat dinner with or lunch with or go to someone's house just about anywhere. Because one of the great criticisms of Jesus was this. He ate with publicans and sinners. Well, guess what I am? I'm a sinner. I'm not better than anybody. But I'm not going to reach anybody by lowering, by lowering some kind of conviction or standard that God has articulated in his word. By the way, as a church, we're not going to reach people by lowering standards. Like if we just change some things, people would want to come more. You're attracting a crowd. You're not building a church at that point. And there's a difference. There has to be zero tolerance for influences and tendencies that are destructive. Let me, let me give you one more thing just as far as a tendency. Jesus Christ mm, was all about loving people. And there is an increasing tendency to hate there are certain ideas that we need to hate, behaviors we need to hate, but we should always be trying to love people because Jesus died for them. We ought to do the same. So zero tolerance. What, what in your life? Do you, have this, do you have this view of yourself or of your family? Do you have this view of West Valley? Do you have, what, what in your life do you view as we're not susceptible, we're good? Be careful of that. Be careful. Do you have this view that, man, if I'll just change who I am, I'll be able to influence people? You then make yourself susceptible. Guard against that. Let's all stand together. Thank you for your attention to the Word of God. In just a moment, Miss Rebecca will begin to play, and Brother Nate will begin to sing. And if God has spoken to your heart, and you recognize in your life some area where I just, I just need to tighten this up. You, even, even with your children, I need to tighten this up. Or with your attitude, I need to, this needs to be a little, a little stronger. If God's dealt with you, then be responsive to him. Lord, thank you 
thank you that you love us. Thank you for your help in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that there are, there are influences and tendencies that are around us and are in us and that can be destructive forces in our lives. Help us to guard, help us to be careful, help us to have reason, biblical reason for why we do what we do. And Lord, to love you and to love people. Father, thank you that you're good to us. Please bless in Jesus' name. Amen. So while Brother Nate sings, you have opportunity to respond. Take time to be holy. Speak up with the Father, thank you very much for the time. Thank you for allowing us to have life and to be a part of what you're doing here. We do ask that you would help us to continue to stay close to you and to follow you and to, Lord, I understand it's not the, the most exciting thought, but it is necessary to recognize that there are dangerous influences around us or in us that can be detrimental to your work in our lives. And so help us to be serious about that, to embrace you, to embrace your love, to embrace your truth, and allow that to be the most formative force in our life. God, you're good to us. We thank you for a good day. I pray that you would bless your people this week. Uh, please help as they move forward in the different areas of life and continue to live. I pray for your protection and your healing and your encouragement. And thank you for who you are to us in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, for everyone that's watching online, thanks so much for being a part of the service tonight. Look forward to being with you on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Have a great night and a great week.